0: off trail learning. This is Blake Bowles. Nathan Lester is one of my favorite people in the world. Whenever I staff at Not Back to School Camp with him, we always find ourselves in some sort of long debate or intense conversation that flows between psychology and politics and philosophy and religion and systems of belief. He is just a treasure trove of really smart theories about the human condition. And he recognizes the scientific method and what makes something a valid truth claim versus not. And he's also a super friendly and compassionate guy who really gets to know the young people who he works with through camp. And he's almost a fully licensed California therapist. So all around incredible guy. He needs no more introduction. Here is a fantastic conversation with Nathan Lester. My guest today is my good friend, Nathan Lester, a longtime staffer at Not Back to School Camp and a soon-to-be-licensed couples and family therapist. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks, Blake. We are talking about the challenges that come with the total freedom provided by something like unschooling or attending a, a school or institution like North Star or Sudbury School where, as a young person, you pretty much get to do whatever you want all day, and this is way more freedom than anyone else in the world probably gets. And so there's challenges, there's problems that come along with that level of freedom. So that's what we're going to dig into. But first, let's start with your background, Nathan. How did you get into the world of of unschooling? What was your your gateway drug?
1: My gateway drug, I, I guess I have to give credit to my mom. Um, she was reading John Holt in the 70s when I was a baby and you know, got got some of my brothers, not me so much, but uh, into homeschooling and then read Grace's book basically as soon as it came out and wrote to Grace, you got to hire my kids. <laughs> and that's <laughs>
0: Grace Llewellyn uh, Change Liberation Handbook, right? That's
1: right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so my brothers, two of my brothers went to camp, uh, not back to school camp. And uh, I guess at the same time, my youngest brother, was unschooled, so she must have read that book while he was like preschool age and then uh, so I got to see my youngest brother unschool his whole life uh, until he started you know taking college classes at thirteen or something
0: but you yeah. missed the unschooling bandwagon you went to school for
1: I completely did i did I went to some you know, I went to like a Montessori school one year, and a free school for a period of time, uh, and maybe in a private school of some kind when I was young. Um, and I did homeschool my third grade year um, with uh, a kind of through the mail curriculum. I forget the name of the company. It was pretty cool. It was Lawrence Williams uh, program. Um. But mostly, I just went to public school, and uh, my parents every year would say, uh, "So, you sure you want to go to school this year?" And I would say, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, so, yeah, that's that's where my friends are. <laughs> so, I mostly went to school, um, and you know, all the way graduated high school, went to several years of community college, went to a trade school. Uh, run out of San Francisco state uh, eventually for record production and then uh, made my living doing that for a while and then uh, went back and finished a bachelor's degree and got a master's degree. So I'm, you know, traditionally educated fairly to the gills. (laughs) Uh, But I did get to see my youngest brother unschooled and my other brothers would often stay home, uh, from, you know, homeschool, you know, when they were asked, do you want to go to school? A lot of time they said no. So I I saw how that worked. And uh, and then my youngest brother, just watching him choose his own education, you know, minute by minute and seeing that that really worked out for him. That was quite a revelation for me. And then I read Grace's book. And at one point, Grace visited our family because she knew some of my brothers and and uh, she invited me to come to camp. That was ninety nine, my first year of camp. And uh, and that was a that just blew me away seeing all of these teenagers just just shining in a certain way, just uh, having these interests, having this kind of uh,
0: well anyway, I don't know And you I went think to camp I've asked- off track. <laughs> I went no, no, to no, camp this as a staffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The same way that I got into not back to school camp. I never went as a camper, yeah. went as a staff member.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember in my first advisee group, we went around and talked about what we did. And, you know, everybody had something that they said they did. And and I, uh, like, I remember one kid said he was a poet and i didn't realize it but a part of my brain said oh he wants to be a poet and then i saw him go up in the talent show and improvise this amazing poem and i it just rocked me like oh no he is a poet he's been he's obviously been putting all this time and passion into this into composing poetry and he's there, you know, not that he wouldn't be better after working at it for another couple decades, but it just really kind of shifted my view of what people, mm. people can do with their teenage years.
0: And your first year staffing there was 99 yeah. and you've been staffing every year since then, sometimes more sessions, sometimes fewer. Uh, don't you hold the award, the informal award of, of having staffed at not back to school camp more than anyone else ever? I
1: did. I think until I I haven't actually done a count in a while. I'm definitely over 50 sessions of not back to school camp. I think possibly Evan has passed me up.
0: Ah, Evan. Yeah. (laughs) And Matt, always a thorn in your side. (laughs) Uh, And Matt, (laughs) another thorn. But I was
1: in my first advising group.
0: Oh, that's, something you can always lord over him.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you have a lot of experience working with teenage unschoolers through Not Back to School Camp. And then outside of Not Back to School Camp, more recently you've been training to become a licensed therapist. And I know that you haven't uh, been working uh, officially with teenagers in that capacity, but I imagine that that has given you some insight into – into the challenges that come with the the amount of freedom that the, the unschooling approach brings. Is that right?
1: I think so. And I think insight may be uh, a little strong of a word. I think uh, I, I'm, I guess I would say I'm feel like I'm pretty deep inside the conversation about, uh, about freedom and unschooling. And um, it may be that I have more questions or, just things that I'm thinking about a lot, uh, then I have answers. Um, but I, yeah, it's something I think about a lot. And, you know, listening to your podcast especially kind of keeps that conversation fresh.
0: Hmm. So, do you think that there's any period in life more free than the period of life of a young person who is not obliged to do sc- uh, school as their full time job? Like maybe a retired person has a similar amount of freedom. Yeah. I think that's
1: uh, that's probably true, it, depending on your social class, if you're extremely rich, um, you might have that situation your whole life. But I, w- I would venture to say that even a retired person has probably, you know, has a house and grounds to maintain and various responsibilities uh, to, to people, so I'd say. Yeah, those those young years are the most freedom you're probably likely to ever get.
0: And in general, this is a good problem to have, right? This is better than the the other problem of being severely uh, repressed or constrained. Yeah, or in, in your, jail. Your, your, yeah. yeah, in jail, something like that. And so For sure. on, on the whole, the challenges that come with this kind of freedom, it, it's not like we're saying this is a terrible thing that we're doing to kids. It's just a, kind of a, a unique situation, pretty recent in the history of, of education, that, that young people have have even run into these sorts of challenges.
1: Yeah, well, I think, I think of the amount of freedom you have, I don't know, maybe you could think of it like a bell curve, but it's certainly a, a spectrum, right? You know, you could be locked up or in a straitjacket on one end of it, and on the other end, you could have, you know... No constraints at all, which is a certain, which has, which has its
0: own limitations, you know? I I don't, I don't know if you have yeah. no constraints at all, then what limitations are there? Um, well, I think of,
1: one of the things I think of is when I was learning to mix music tracks, the, my teacher, who was a great teacher said, okay, choose three. Three instruments that you can mix together. You know, you can choose, you know, a bass drum, bass guitar, and a vocal or something. But you don't want to start off with with too many sounds to try and mix together because you're just learning how to do it, how to put the sounds together. Similarly, actually, I remember, uh, you know, early art teachers, you know, saying like, "Okay, choose three colors," um, just giving some constraints so that the learning process is clear and easy to follow. And I mean, to the extent that it is, it's still pretty difficult to mix uh, three sounds together in a way that sounds beautiful. Um, You know, not just anything is going to work, but you can try a lot more things if you have some constraints there.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's a lot of discussion around creativity and constraints and how constraints are are really beneficial to that. And, And also... You know these classic studies about if you go into a supermarket and there's 50 different types of jelly to buy, uh, how people react to that versus three different types. Yeah, so, there's
1: actually a decrease in happiness uh, in situations where the you know your 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 number of choices is overwhelming.
0: Okay, so let's extrapolate that to the situation of a uh, a 15 year old. Unschooler. Let's say this is somebody who has been raised unschooled since birth. Sure. Um, the amount of choices that this young person has for the the direction they can take their life, what they want to focus on, mm. how to structure their day, and we're assuming that their parents are giving them essentially, you know, carte blanche to to do whatever they want as long yeah. as they're not breaking any laws or burning the house down. Yeah. Um, would you say that that is a situation that can lead to a, a decrease? In happiness, just because there are so many different paths you can take, that you feel overwhelmed.
1: I think it can. I think it depends on the personality of the of the teenager. Um, mm-hmm. But the the potential is definitely there. In, in a way, it's kind of a problem of curation, right? Which is one of the ma- major uh, challenges of the modern age. You know, you have all this information, um, and you know one you know when you're in this phase of being a teenager one answer to curation is going to school and you have you know these people who you know been trained to teach people and textbooks that have the information that somebody thought was important um you know another version of that is some kind of homeschooling where the teacher is the parent and the parent is doing the curating and then the you know the unschooling approach is you know almost more like well whoever your information sources are on the internet is doing the creation for you. Um, And it's such a vast source of information. You can just, you can just kind of get lost in it. And, you know, information in quotes, you know, some of the, half the stuff on the internet is wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's generous of you, Nathan. That's Probably 75%.
1: Probably 90%. -hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And, when you go to school there's this security that comes with the idea that you're plugging into the the canon of human knowledge. Yeah. You are plugging into this vetted system of instruction and and that millions of other young people are doing the same thing. Yeah. And then when you leave that system there must be, you know, an equal amount of anxiety that comes with just not doing what other people are doing and feeling like maybe I'm right and I'm I'm rebelling in a in a way that's going to help me in the long run, but mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe this is all a giant mistake.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Um, yeah,
1: maybe I will wish that I hadn't spent a year learning about something off the internet, which turned out to be wrong.
0: Or writing fan fiction for uh, Pokemon or something.
1: Oh, who would regret that? I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not nowadays. With Pokemon Go, that is a, a true asset to have under Absolutely. your belt.
1: Yeah, major social asset as well um oh yeah yeah i think again it kind of depends on the personality uh you know certain types of people are going to be more or less concerned about um, you know what they should be learning you know it's kind of in the air that you want to be learning some math right (laughs) and i think that's one area when i talk to grown unschoolers often they feel like they got they didn't get math like they wish they had
0: and now they don't really have time um, really this is a common response that you hear yeah uh, math regrets yeah and but are these people regretting that they weren't forced to do a bunch of factoring of polynomial equations and and they're missing that or did they feel like it was a, a handicap to uh, kind of moving up in formal education like going to college or grad school
1: um, no I think not not the not so much algebra but more arithmetic and you know maybe more advanced arithmetic i mean it's something you see mirrored in kids who you know kids who went to school and are adults they're often more kind of afraid of math i don't think the the grown unschoolers that i've talked to have not been particularly afraid of math maybe a little bit but more just like yeah i didn't want to sit and you know, drill. So I, you know, had my times tables memorized. So I never did it. And now I'm, now I wish I had. I wish someone had made me do that. I've had oh. actually several grown um, homeschoolers and unschoolers tell me that very thing.
0: Huh. So more of the core, uh, kind of foundational math, the the ability to quickly do mental math, that uh, they feel like they missed out on.
1: Yeah, and I think I think maybe. I'm I'm reading into this, um, but I think maybe just they are wishing that they had developed more of a mathematical intuition, you know, so they could like look at something involving numbers and just kind of like feel confident and fluent in what they mm-hmm. might do with those numbers.
0: Maybe math anxiety is just a, a, a universal human trait, regardless of your your kind of type of education. Yeah. Uh, I know lots of school people who feel the same way.
1: Yeah. I think well one thing that I, this is maybe a bit of a tangent but I think you know you mentioned polynomials and I think you know the reason to learn algebra if you're gonna learn algebra that you know if you're not gonna be an engineer or something like that where you would really need algebra uh, is to is to put arithmetic in that intuitive category so you know you, you you're, when you're doing algebra, you're kind of, like, at a higher level of math that makes you kind of, like, really strengthen your arithmetic uh, skills. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. You just have to use them so often that they become more automatic.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: And and so,
1: you know, you don't need to know polynomials, you know, unless you're doing, like, modeling or something like that. But, uh, but. If you do, you kind of get this facility with arithmetic that that kind of, you know, can be helpful. Yeah,
0: I think so. So with all this freedom, you have the the potential to miss out on areas of study that you might f- regret in the future.
1: Possibly, um, yeah, yeah.
0: But with that comes the opportunity to dive deep into areas that you think you're really passionate about right now. Kind Absolutely. Of like that that teenager you had in your first advisory group at camp, who was the poet, Yeah, um, that probably would not have happened if that kid was doing school full time.
1: Yeah, I think that that's exactly the trade off. And I think that, you know, the, the, the quality of learning that you can do when you're passionate about something is so high that, you know, it's in most cases, I think it's, uh, it's a good trade off to make.
0: Yeah. And that quality of learning leads to a depth of learning that I think makes unschoolers kind of unbalanced in the sense of knowing a lot about some things and then having giant gaps, giant areas of, of kind of ignorance in other areas. But yeah, the way that I, I, I rationalize that to myself as, as an okay thing and something that's potentially better than being a, a so-called well-rounded person, um, is that if you have spent a lot of time, uh, practicing that mode of sort of passionate learning about something that you have chosen and that you are fully engaged with, if you kind of know what that feeling is to learn like that, then at some point later in in your life, when you realize that you have one of these gaps and it's a liability for you, uh, you know nothing about history. And all of a sudden, whatever, your girlfriend is super into history. And you're like, damn it, I better figure out what happened in in World War II. Mm -hmm. um, Then you can... You can jump into that mode of learning, that that passionate, focused, uh, consensual mode of learning, uh, because you know what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, do, do you buy that argument? I, I do. I I think there
1: are some complexities, but I think you know if you know how to learn, then you know you know you know that you can learn something, uh, and you know how to do it. You know how to dive into it.
0: And I feel like if you go to school, that is not something that most kids walk away with. I think they walk away with the sensation that to learn something, they have to go back into some sort of uh, high time intensive, high resource intensive situation like school or college or grad school in order to figure something out, that they are dependent upon other people to do this learning that, you know, any learning beyond the most basic stuff that you could Google. And that seems like a pretty big liability to To going through life
1: yeah I think you know that can happen and I think it does but I also think I mean do you feel like that you went to school
0: yeah no I don't feel like that I feel like I can learn I can learn anything I want I also had kind of a unique experience in college where I got to design my own major and and really Uh have a lot of a lot of choice and autonomy yeah Um, yeah hard to parse apart
1: yeah I mean again I think it it depends on your depends on your personality and your kind of cognitive bent to some degree, because I also did a lot of school and, you know, didn't design my own major, but I chose my own major, and just, you know, maybe I was easily turned on by a good teacher, (laughs) but I didn't come out of that, you know, my schooling experience with a feeling like I needed to have school. I definitely enjoyed having, like when I went to graduate school and I was like just getting all this amazing, you know, curated information dumped into my head by these, you know, really good professional therapists and teachers. You know, I was like, "Wow, that was you know, this a peak
0: experience." Uh, I, I remember having some astronomy classes where I felt exactly the same way. I felt like it was a sermon. Yeah. Like afterwards, I was a changed person. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> right.
1: And with and and I think so. It doesn't have that. You know, having experiences like that doesn't. Doesn't necessarily affect your ability to think of yourself as a learner, um, but I think it can, and especially if you know you you're in less than optimal educational situations, and the teacher is like, you know, emotionally confusing, or you know, who knows? Teachers have you know they're they're humans and mm-hmm. can pass on a fair amount of confusion as well as the information they pass on.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's move on to another aspect of the, the challenges of having a lot of freedom, and that's motivation. Sure. Something that comes up all the time um, regarding accountability, re- regarding the role of a, a teacher or a parent, and uh, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So, maybe can you just summarize the problem for us, Nathan? Like, what's the challenge of being a totally liberated teenager and then uh, feeling motivated?
1: Let's see. Well, I guess I just know a lot of people who struggle with motivation, and you know, my my community is basically grown on school, grown on schoolers. So, I kind of think of it from from you know from what they tell me. Uh, it's just been difficult to kind of keep something up in in a satisfying way. You know, I'll you know I just know a bunch of people who like their kind of continual struggle in life is deciding that they're going to do such and such and then deciding nah and then switching to the next thing and deciding no and like you know eventually kind of having to rationalize well I dipped my toe a little bit into a bunch of stuff but but basically feeling unsatisfied with that and um and so I do think about that quite a bit it's it's never been my struggle so I don't have much skin in the game there except to the extent that I want to help people in that situation. So
0: uh-huh.
1: I do, um, I don't know, how so did I do? It, Can you? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It sounds to me like it's motivation is not quite encapsulated in what you're, you're saying here, that a lot of these grown-up schoolers who you know are motivated to, to start new things, to start new projects, to, to dive into something that seems exciting, but it's the commitment it's the long-term sticking with it Yeah, that I, is the challenge.
1: And this is something – I. one of the reasons I thought of this as a topic was I was listening to this podcast recently, and there was this guy who was, you know, like a highly decorated Navy SEAL, you know, like kind of amazing dude uh, who was doing all this stuff. You know, after having retired and everything, and he was taking questions from the audience. And one of the questions was, "How do you motivate yourself for like long projects? You know, difficult things that you're that you're um, working on. How do you keep the motivation up?" And his answer was, "Motivation is crap. Basically, like you can't rely on motivation. You know, motivation it's motivation goes away if you didn't get enough sleep, or you know, your blood sugar gets a little low, or." It just, it's just—it's not motivation is not reliable. What's reliable is discipline. And then he went on to just, you know, describe, you know, the the uh, the joys of discipline. <laughs> and I think I heard that, and I thought, well, that's a piece of the conversation that is that would be valuable in unschooling, um, because, right. you know, if you are really just relying on this magical this sense of like inspiration, uh, you, you can find yourself just floating around and never digging your your uh, your hands into something deeply and creating something, you know, a long-term difficult, challenging project that, you know, that withstands the the comings and goings of motivation.
0: I- as you say all this, you're making me realize that I'm definitely part of the problem, Nathan. Oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, in, yeah. In my first book, I used the word excitement as the main metric ah. that that an unschooler should use to, to determine what's worth doing. Yeah. You know, what you know gets you excited? What makes you want to get up in the morning and start moving? Um, which is essentially the same thing as saying just – what, you know, what's your intrinsic passion or your, yeah. you know, what do you just feel naturally motivated to do? And this is just part of the the religion of unschooling, which is that this thing that we call intrinsic motivation or passion, intrinsic motivation is, is a technical term. So like this thing called passion yeah. exists and... And we just need to follow it. It's like we're following our muse, it's yeah. some pixie flying around that we have to catch. And it <laughs> slips out of our fingers and we got to go track it down again. Yeah. And well, and what I, this guy says.
1: I don't want seems... to dispassion. Like, I think it's awesome. And I think it's a great place to start. But I mm. think, you know, I, I guess I guess the thing that felt missing was, you know, well, what about when it gets hard or when, you know, yeah, the, the when these fluctuations happen, you know. And it feels like, oh, the magic is gone. Do you keep with it or do you and, and you know, of course, there's there's no right answer to that in a general sense. You can definitely get on, onto a track and like be disciplined and, you know, devote your life to something that ended up being a disappointment or something.
0: Sounds like we're talking about kind of short term game gain versus long term yeah. gain. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, and and deferred gratification. Yeah, you know all these basic ideas that are pretty ingrained in the school system. Yeah, you know deferred gratification. The reason you ostensibly put up with all this bullshit in high school is so you can get the high school diploma, and that will magically grant you access to college or jobs, even though those are pretty dubious claims. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely something to be said for not just flitting around kind of following the pixie wherever it goes. yeah, um, but then also, you know, have you run into any unschoolers who sort of you know go too far in the other direction and just put themselves onto some sort of rigid schedule who uh, you know they they seem to have lost that passion. they're They're really just over prescribing themselves um with a large dose of discipline.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, of course. I think probably you know where I where I end up shooting myself in the foot is in that direction. Not so much losing the passion, but like getting over schedule, burning the candle at both ends. You know, like just piling up my day and my mind with things, so so that you know I can feel like. Uh, you know, there's some, there's definitely despair uh, in the dark reaches of, of that corridor. You know, <laughs> uh, that that uh, you know, especially as an adult with responsibilities. That oh, this thing that I'm passionate, of, these all these these 10, 20 things that I'm you know have passion for, uh, you know, they're just crawling along at a snail's pace, or maybe they're on the totally on the back burner. Uh, and there's definitely some distress. Available there, uh, and and again, I think it's kind of a personality issue. You know, uh, do you? Yeah, you know, I had a I had a friend who never went into libraries uh, because she she got she just thought I will never be able to read all these books. <laughs> it was very depressing for her. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, which is was the opposite of my experience. Yeah, me um, too but i can i can kind of you know i i get it
0: she needed a, cura- uh, a curator Exactly. she needed you to go into the library and say like Your here are the discipline. best three books that you'll <laughs> <That's> like yeah
1: <laughs> yeah anyway the, i guess i guess the thing about discipline that i wanted to say is it, it is you know it, it is a skill it's a kind of it's a it's something you develop in yourself right
0: it is and i wonder if you develop it better through uh, the challenges of unschooling, the challenges of total freedom, and uh, and starting something, and then losing that intrinsic motivation, and and then saying, you know, kind of getting frustrated with yourself at some point, and saying, "Listen, I'm just seeing myself go through this cycle. Yeah. Uh, I need to break this," and uh, and coming at the challenge of discipline through through that direction as opposed to the externally imposed discipline. Of, of school or a highly rigid job yeah um i yeah I'm just not i agree with you it's probably a personality thing I think that yeah. there are some people who definitely need the externally exposed structure uh, to sort of quell that that voice in their head that just wants them to go zipping off in every other direction
1: yeah um, yeah well I guess I would put it a little bit like I put it a little bit differently than you just said, did, but, you know, more like some people will thrive with, you know, a, a kind of more of a system around them, you know, and some people will thrive and develop discipline based purely on a passion that they that they have. You know, I, I guess I I just have had the experience, you know, of being, having had so much school in, in my past, and I feel like I pretty well thrived on it. Uh, you know, depending, you know, not not if I had a bad teacher or something like that, but uh, that I did develop discipline. You know, being on the swim team or being in school and kind of like being handed hard things to do and yeah. getting them done. You have done. to study
0: for a midterm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, I I learned about myself through that process that I could do that and that you know I gained the ability to do it not in spite of the system but you know with with the assistance of that system, mm-hmm. and I think. I definitely know people who that system had the exact opposite effect.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, I do think it it really is like a matter
0: of fit. Nathan, I want you to develop a personality typing system for <laughs> for education. Okay, it's like Myers Briggs or Big Five or something, and and. I, I will just take an easy questionnaire and it will tell me if I should homeschool <laughs> or unschool or yeah, right. go to a military school or a Waldorf school.
1: Well, it probably is. I mean, it's, it's also probably developmental, right? I, I was, this year I started polling my advisory groups at Not Back to School Camp. Like, what did you, what was your, what's your education been like in your life? And I'd say 75% of the campers had some, had basically started off homeschooling when they were young. And then around the time that they became teenagers started unschooling or maybe a little before then, to the extent that I started thinking like this is maybe the, the way most um, unschoolers, you know lifelong unschoolers are doing it that you know that there's there's some you know the parents are involved more in a teaching environment when they're young and then when they get older it's more like, okay, now what do you want to learn?
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, and I've noticed that also in my advisory groups. And also I, I pulled my advisory group this year, and we're talking about the first session of Oregon Not Back to School Camps. It's still during the, the summer months. And uh-huh. so you can you can go to this camp, but you can also still go to school. And right. every single one of my advisees had done some f- amount of formal schooling. Right. And so they were all some mix of formal education and informal yeah. unstructured learning. I found that really interesting. Yeah, and I
1: I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because I have a daughter now. She's four and a half months, so I got some time. But you know, I'm gonna have <laughs> to make some decisions about what we do. <laughs> and I think you know, a lot of it's gonna depend on her personality and what she wants. And also, I think there's a certain I don't know. I've seen my my nephew Ollie's five, and he's starting to homeschool. And I've also watched you know Grace with Yared, and um, it just it seems like It is quite common, probably not universal, but quite common that you know, in those young years, five years old, you know, maybe five to ten or something, kids they really want to spend time with their parents, and like homeschooling is a fun way to do it, you know, potentially. Or yard saying like, "Can we do homeschooling? Can we do homeschooling?" Like he just really wanted to sit down and like do some math with his mom. And and I think, you know, well, I. Could probably be a pretty good curator for my daughter. When you know, in those early years, getting you know, getting some math in there, getting some whatever, uh, and in a way that that will be hopefully not confusing or irritating to her. Mostly just you know, inspiring or fun or something like that. Like I, I think maybe you know, in in a lot of cases, you want to take advantage of that uh, that desire for you know, projects and, you know, mom or dad leading the show, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that you can take advantage of the window when a child is two or three years old to learn a foreign language. Yeah, right. You know, almost no friction. Right. Exactly. I wonder if, you know, 50 years from now, uh, it'll be more of a sort of economic possibility for families to homeschool. And it'll just be the norm that you homeschool your kid from birth through age 11. Uh And then from there, there's this potpourri of options. Uh, You know, when this this sort of developmental stage is coming to an end and adolescence is beginning. Um, And we'll look back and be like, Oh my gosh, we shoved everyone off into school factories. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see.
1: Yeah, we will. Uh, It'll be, be, an interesting, uh, uh, it'll be an interesting life. We'll get to see that unfold.
0: Yeah. You'll be able to be that grandpa Nathan, it's like, <laughs> I was unschooling before you kids ever even heard about this. Uh-huh. Yeah, Um, Let's move on to another big challenge of total freedom that you and I have discussed, which is the obligation to be amazing, or uh, the the expectation that you need to become a genius or an expert in something. If you are, if you're an unschooler, if you're somebody else who has all this free time, um, you know it's not enough to just uh, sit around and lazily enjoy that free time you know to lay out in the park and count the clouds or yeah. to just kind of browse the bookstore no this you know with this freedom comes this unstated obligation to yeah. do something incredible with it yeah right yeah what what have you seen like uh, well how about this what are some of the incredible things or stories that that you've seen in your time working with unschoolers that sort of set the bar
1: oh yeah gosh so many i mean sarah beth riding her bike across the country springs to mind of course um seems like whenever you hear about an unschooler in our community it is for one of these kinds of things you know now you know all of these kids you've like been to argentina or uh, have you gone to india yet anyway lots of like world traveling um solo traveling or, um, you know, becoming a professional dancer or... uh, Music
0: is the one that, at Not Back to School Camp, I feel like the musicians who we see the most and who we hear the most, and, you know, you're the one who who runs the music project at camp, Nathan, the ones who we see and hear the most are the ones who have really taken advantage of their free time to get really good at the guitar or uh, another instrument, at the piano, and yeah. so we 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 hear, you know, this 16-year-old playing this incredible piece on the piano. Yeah. And and that sets the bar, right? It's like, do it I is, have an, an equivalent skill to that? Right. It it
1: is deeply moving to see, you know, some uh, you know, a teenager get up and you know, play a piece of music that, you know, brings tears to your eyes. It's just so well played and so has or doing some other kind of performance. It is, I think, yeah, it's hard to, it, it's impossible to, for me to avoid that emotional experience. Like that's one of my favorite things about camp is getting to see people uh, display what they've been working on all year.
0: Um, yeah. It makes it such an inspiring community.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I do, and I think there prob there is, and, you know, by talking to uh, teenagers who aren't in that position where they don't feel like they have something amazing to display. there's, uh, There can be a sense of oh, I'm wasting my time or I'm wasting my life. Um, and I should be doing something like this. It comes a, becomes a way to beat yourself up for what you're not doing.
0: Yeah, I was just reviewing one of my favorite books called Why We Do What We Do by Edward DC, mm-hmm. one of the psychologists who authored self-determination theory. Yeah, autonomy... Autonomy, competence, and uh, relevancy, which has also been called purpose. So, yeah, he uses this kind of esoteric term from psychology, which is introjection, uh, the opposite of projection. And so introjection, you know, it's when we take and swallow whole some idea from the outside world usually comes from a, an authority figure. And we just take that idea and we completely, you know, make it part of ourselves. Mm. And so the idea might be, you know, a, a political ideal. It might be a, you know, an idea about how society functions um, or how we're supposed to act. And we just swallow it. And that's always struck me as something that school is very good at, at propagating. You know, family mm. life is the number one propagator sure. of that for sure. But School is very good at that. That's where we get all these beliefs and I think a number of, of negative beliefs about social interaction can come from school, from the, the sort of uh, Hobbesian world of the playground. Yeah. But but this can happen also within non-schooling community, a, a community of supposed total freedom and acceptance, and it can come from something as benign as watching somebody who's your same age do an incredible performance on the piano and then all of a sudden you think you know i should i have to i must uh, be as impressive as this person yeah and so maybe it's just something we cannot escape maybe we cannot author a uh, an environment of complete freedom nathan my, all of my ideals are <laughs> crashing down
1: yeah well again i think this is a this is one this is another mixed bag right like y- you could again it's probably partly personality I'm thinking about this story of my dad and his brother when they were teenagers went and saw this amazing guitar player and uh and they were both guitar player both learning to play guitar and my dad came home from that concert and just put his nose to the grindstone and just played guitar you know five hours a day or something whenever he wasn't in school and his brother gave up guitar forever Like, I will never be that good. (laughs) I think, you know, what you're describing, you know, when you see the piano performance or whatever is, in a certain way, is a sense of inspiration. Like, I want to be able to do something amazing.
0: Right? Uh, Yeah, and that that can cut both ways. Exactly. Exactly. I think, in general, it's a positive thing. And I have the pleasure of working with a lot of not-back-to-school campers on my unschool Adventures programs. And I more hear the report that I went to camp and I got so inspired um, or, you know, sometimes I hear from people who went on like one of my programs um, but have not been to camp. It's often the same story. It's like I I went and I got so inspired that I went home and started working really hard on X or Y or Z. Yeah, right. Um, I don't hear the story as much that says – I got really intimidated, and I went home and felt really anxious and depressed, and yeah. didn't do anything, <laughs> of course, you know there's the just the the fact that we might not hear those stories because people don't want to share those stories, yeah, true, as compared to the the victory story that's true, yeah,
1: I think one of the things I want to say that's coming back up here is I think the thing that you want to develop a taste for is flow states and you know, when you see someone play the amazing piano you know performance at the talent show and not back to school camp you know you're kind of seeing the result of hours and hours of flow state activity on the piano um, and it's maybe not obvious when you first you know it's just like wow this person's a rock star they're amazing um, but if you can kind of translate that into oh this is about practice you know and not practice in a fun way not practice in a way that's you know like a deliberate practice is, is, not particularly a joyful thing. You know what I mean? It's 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 yeah. being in the, fully in the moment, fully engaged, challenged to the right uh, level, not not overly challenged enough to create like an, an anxiety state. Uh, but it's you know it's work. It's hard work, and that's that's kind of getting back to the discipline, like developing a taste for the kind of disciplined slow state activities that produce these kinds of amazing things that we see in unschoolers. Like that seems to be the key, right?
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up deliberate practice because I've also been really excited about that recently because uh, uh, Anders Ericsson, the, the researcher who coined the term and did all the the foundational research this year, published a book called Peak, which is his first popular science book that he's written a long time or ever, perhaps, where he he really clarifies all this stuff that before was research that was academic research that was then reinterpreted by popular writers, most notably Malcolm Gladwell and his 10,000-hour rule. And and so it's coming straight from the horse's mouth. and, And you're exactly right that deliberate practice is this special form of practice where uh, it's very intense. It's not enjoyable. It's, it's not even like sometimes enjoyable. It's, you know, people report not having fun, yeah. not having a good time. Like, this is really work with a capital W. Yeah. Um, and usually you need some sort of teacher or coach or other. Uh, sometimes the activity has natural feedback involved, uh, mm-hmm. but oftentimes you need somebody else to sort of give you feedback and then design a very specific, uh, very focused activity for you that might just be like playing scales on a guitar. Yeah. You do it over and over again until you're perfect. Um, so yeah. Uh, and once you get through all that deliberate practice and you build up those skills, then you have the chance. I like this, this analogy of you're in the rainstorm the whole time while you're doing deliberate practice, you're just cold and shivering and it's hard, but then sometimes you kind of pop out above the clouds and yeah. you see the sunny day. Yeah. And that is the flow state. Right. Cause you know, there's a lot of overlap between those two. It, it's it, A state of high challenge, you know, right at your threshold of ability. Yeah. Um, But flow state is enjoyable and positive, and deliberate practice is hard work. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I think when you see that incredible piano performance or something like that, a dance performance, or somebody reciting poetry, um, or even somebody uh, solving a a Rubik's cube, I wonder who would do that. Who would do that? Who would do that? (laughs) Um. That you're observing the flow state, and that's something that I think it's a, a yeah. good thing to have a sense of, of of jealousy might not be the right word, but you know, saying th- I want to do what this person is yeah. doing, I want to, to I achieve want that, that state, yeah. I want some of that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, in many ways, I think this this obligation to be amazing or to become amazing can be a positive thing. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a form of positive peer pressure.
1: Yeah. Right. That you can, you know, it's possible to accomplish something amazing with your life and, you know, uh,
0: and,
1: let's get on with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you yeah. have the opportunity, then then don't squander it. Yeah. Right.
1: So this kind of touches on something that I um, think is also useful maybe to potentially, I would love it to be useful a useful thing for somebody who's young and thinking about like their career. Well there's a there's this draw towards, you know, performance or artistic kind of stuff. Um, at least among not back to school campers. It seems like, you know, a- everywhere you look, you got an artist, right?
0: I think that's part of the personality package you've been talking about. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's kind of a culture thing or, you know, there's I guess one of one of the things that I like to pitch to unschoolers is the idea that um, you are likely in a very privileged position compared to most of the people on the planet. And by that I mean you you know where every human starts off their life as well completely focused on themselves. We egocentric we call it. You know you 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 can't help it. You're a baby all you know about is what you need and getting your needs met. And that the course of growing up is basically the course of learning how to get your own needs met and then refocusing on helping other people. Um, and, and the extent to which you grow up, I think is the extent to which you do kind of develop care and concern and compassion for other people and um, and want to, you know, be a, a force for change in the world. And I, I think not not everybody not everybody gets there because not everybody, you know, is born with the same amount of privilege. You know what I mean? Yeah, I buy that. Keep going. So so but I think if you, you know, if you're an unschooler, you know, who's a young person and are listening to me talking right now, chances are you are going to get to that place in your life where what you really want to do is make a positive impact in other people's lives. And, you know, right now, that may not be obvious to you, um, because, you know, you're kind of mid trajectory between completely egocentric and, and much more world centric. Um, And so when you're choosing what kind of career you want to go into, you know, as, as a very young person, you might want to you might be drawn to some kind of rock star kind of, I what I want to do is, you know, be famous or, you know, be known for being amazing. Uh, but I think if you can believe what I'm saying right now, probably what you will want to have accomplished by the time you die is, ha- is having had a very positive impact on a lot of people's lives. Um, and so when you're thinking about what career you're, you wanna, you know, sink your, what is it, eighty thousand hours you get in a career? Uh, you know, think about things that will help people. You know, like consider public policy or mental health or you know, um, or I don't know, engineering. I was say I was listening to the conversation you had with Dev, and you're like, you brought up engineering as like this, you know, the archetypical unexamined career path. <laughs> You're like an electrical engineer who never thought about what they wanted to do. Um, But I was I was on the bus last week with uh, a guy who had just graduated from his bachelor's program in chemical engineering. And, you know, he didn't he didn't start a bachelor's program in chemical engineering because he was passionate about chemistry. I highly doubt but he had kind of set himself up to be a chemical engineer, and he was so excited about it. He <laughs> was just about the interview with Faraday, this new electric car company, and he was just really interested in working on batteries. And like, you know, whoever figures out batteries is gonna really change the world in a big way. Yeah. And completely. Uh, completely. And, you know, this kid had, as far as I could tell, more or less accidentally chosen a career that put him in a place of strong leverage on this very big problem that, that the world has. You
0: know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I hope I didn't throw engineers under the bus too much <laughs> in my conversation with Dev. I have some good friends who are engineers. And I definitely think that even if you don't feel some sense of deep passion for a major that you're going to choose in college, um, you can have a sense of, you know, in which field will I become most useful yeah. Based upon what I know about my personality, my skill set, you know, right. where I've been effective yeah. thus far in life. And I, and I believe you that with a sense of competence and a sense of contribution, even if it's to something as as esoteric as, you know, battery, you know, technology development uh, that leads to happiness. And yeah. um, and I'm a little shocked. Nathan, I'm just going to say this a little shocked <laughs> that as somebody who is so into music, you think that rock stars don't help the world. <laughs> you don't think they spread joy across continents across oh, earbuds everywhere? Yeah, they do. Um,
1: you know, among other things.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> I'll just let that one go.
1: Yeah, yeah I I just think you know, there a little bit of the a little bit of the kind of Trouble that sneaks in with the kind of you know, you must do something amazing, or you will do something amazing, you're destined to do something amazing as, as an unschooler. Is that, um, is that you know, you will be, you know,
0: prince or madonna, or
1: you know what I mean? You, yeah, you, you get into the expectation
0: you, that you'll become an outlier. Yes, uh, exactly. Of, in, of massive success. Those
1: people are way, way outside, you know, way in, into the into the narrow tail of the bell curve. And and you know, that they're there's so much in the limelight that you kind of almost can't help but want to be famous like them. But he, it's 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 actually uh, pretty awful.
0: Yeah, you don't see all the crap they have to wade through. Yeah, I mean, you just you, see the, you the shiny parts.
1: Read, read, read their biographies, and you see like people who are ambitious enough to get out that far outside, you know, the norm of human experience. They, you know, they don't even know anyone that they knew. You know, they, they like, you know, every person was a stepping stone to them. You know, uh, probably there are exceptions to this, but you know, the extent to which ambition rules your life, you know, you. you you uh you put yourself on another track. I'm not sure how deep I want to go into this, but <laughs> Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, here.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I do. And let's pivot away now. Sure. Um to the last topic uh that we decided we were going to talk about for the the challenges associated with total freedom and that's mental health. And this is something that we've we've touched upon in all of our previous threads uh regarding anxiety, uh regarding uh, status, um, um but you are becoming a mental health professional yeah. and I want to hear your take on the kind of mental health um issues or concerns or problems that come up with people who are especially young people who are dealing with with so much freedom so much choice and opportunity
1: yeah yeah well, I guess what I'd say is that, that unschoolers tend to have, the same kind of trouble that uh, that schooled kids have to a large extent, and I think I was surprised by that um, when when I realized, like, oh, these kids, and not back to school camp. You know, when you get into talking about what's hard for them, they're having, you know, they're having a hard time uh, in in very similar ways to other teenagers. And I think there's a, there's a kind of an expectation that, oh, since I am doing this lifestyle, it is so much better than going to school that I'm going to be perfect. You know, I'm not going to have problems that, that in a certain way, there's, there's a little bit of, um, magical thinking about, what unschooling can do for you and, mm-hmm. uh, That, you know, since I'm avoiding this trap of school and all of the you know, very real social problems that come from ghettoizing age groups and stuff like that uh, That I'm that I'm actually gonna be, you know, free of psychological trouble <laughs> and and the fact is you just can't avoid having a full human experience in your life I mean, I, I guess I know a few people who just really seem like they're happy <laughs> all the time. Uh, but but it seems like, you know, you're most likely you as an unschooler are going to have, you know, the same kind of challenges that humans have had since, you know, the beginning. And, uh, and that un- unschooling can be helpful and it can, you know, it can also create, some different, some anxiety about some different things than people who are going to school. But um, I guess partly I just want to kind of normalize having a having a normal level of psychological challenge uh, as an unschooler.
0: You, know? <laughs> you want to set the expectations straight. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you that there is this 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 magical hope that by removing ourselves from this major societal institution. That that will suddenly clear up all of our, our mental health challenges. Yeah. But but walking away from one institution, you know, it, that's just such a small part of the the puzzle. Yeah. You know, we're still part of human society. Yeah. We we'll, we are still part of our families, our communities. Yeah. You know, we're probably still connected to a lot of the, the culture that that is in school, which is just youth culture. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to escape.
1: Yeah, and I think in some ways the you know the ways that humans have trouble psychologically are side effects of having human brains you know (laughs) you you have a brain that can you know think about the future and plan for the future and along with that comes anxiety right which is an uncomfortable state and and the same can be said for different kinds of psychological trouble i think is just kind of part of being human to some degree um so that I guess that was the main message I wanted to get across on, on that I do think it does occur to me uh, that if I do think there's some magic in in unschooling it comes from this experience I have that my favorite people are unschoolers and in the unschooling community like I know I can go to not back to school camp and meet just the people that I, want to be with more than anybody else who are my people who are feel like my community. You know what I mean? I, it, the combination of parenting and freedom and, you know, whatever it is, whatever combination of, you know, people that we get together at not back to school camp is just unfailingly inspiring.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, but this could also just be, you and your unique personality quirks uh, true, being yeah. matched with other people and yeah. their quirks in the same way that somebody who's a devout Mormon, you know, they go hang around a group of other Mormons and they are like, Oh yeah, uh-huh, this is yeah. good. <laughs> These are my people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, and I know like, uh, some Quakers who go to their big Quaker gathering and like, that's the, the, the thing that is as good as camp for them, you know? Uh, and I guess I could think like when I go to a Lindy Hop exchange or something like that I have a similar experience but I also have a lot of experiences you know working with teenagers who are in high school or you know or just working you know in a workplace with people who are also in mental health or something like that and you know they're like these are all good people doing the best they can good-hearted and you know I feel like I can get close with them but the kind of the kind of um, genuine, honest, inspiring, vulnerable interactions that really, in my mind, create a strong community and and uh, inspiration in my life are just most very very strongly most reliably found with unschoolers.
0: So we're all just really trying to find our own little cults throughout life. <laughs>
1: Or, yeah, or a culture. I think, you know, we all want people. You can't people. say
0: culture without cults. That's true. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it, there there's a lot of uh, negative connotation that comes along with the idea of a cult. And I think a lot of that is uh, probably well-deserved. Um, but there's a certain... I don't know see you're wanting me to say uh, uh, these people disagree with you and that's why you like them but I think that there's more to it than that and I think when I talk to a teenager at not back to school camp th- they're interested in talking like they don't have to talk to me you know and when I talk to uh, a kid from a high school background, they are, they're actively disinterested in talking to adults mm, for the most mm-hmm. part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, it's not true across the board, but, but just as a, in a general way, I think uh, one that I just, I think there is a different quality that comes with this lifestyle that is, I don't know. I
0: just love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, Nathan, anything else on your mind on the subject of the challenges that come with total freedom as a young person? Anything that that popped up earlier that you Mm -hmm. wanted to circle back to?
1: Not that I'm remembering. I'm sure I'll think
0: about them for the rest of the day. (laughs) With all your freedom. Yeah. Uh, All right, Nathan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Blake. If you enjoyed this ad-free podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can write a review on iTunes. You can share it on social media. You can email it to someone who might benefit from it, or you can support it directly with a per episode donation at offtraillearning.com/support.